Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at the never aired episode of Doomwatch, the final episode of the TV series, Sex and Violence. Episode synopsis goes a little something like this. Things are getting all evangelical at a church hall meeting of the women of Housewives, a group of mothers concerned about permissiveness, filth, perversion, and sex ed classes for kids by long-haired liberals. And then the minister is assigning Doomwatch to look into the matter. There are growing calls for a reintroduction of stricter obscenity laws, and the minister thinks Doomwatch should look into the issue of moral pollution. Quist is unable to see the relevance to Doomwatch's mission until he realizes, and the minister confirms, that this is all about political expediency. The Purvis subcommittee is looking into the issue, and Doomwatch should too. Afterwards, if they conclude nothing should be done to change the laws, that would probably fit the political situation the best all round. The minister also lets Quist know that they've appointed his wife, Dr. Ann Tarrant, to the Purvis subcommittee. Well, at least we know that Quist and Tarrant's pillow talk doesn't revolve around their working lives. Try not to picture Quist and Tarrant having sex in your mind. As Anne begins to attend the committee meetings, she meets the other members. Lord Purvis, who seems to be a fair-minded and thoughtful committee chair. The Reverend Garrison. Mrs. Creasy, a clean-up campaigner and thinly disguised stand-in for Mary Whitehouse. Professor Fairburn, a psychosociologist. Stephen Granger, educationist. And Dick Burns, pop star. Their remit? to look over the laws of other countries, to study the legal analyses of these laws and their effectiveness, to review scientific research, to screen and analyze materials that might be considered obscene, and then to render a recommendation back to the Parliamentary Committee as consideration for potential parliamentary action. Pressure starts early as Dick Burns is accosted by Mrs. Catchpole, organizer of the local chapter of Housewives we saw earlier, and another thinly disguised stand-in for Mary Whitehouse, as she tries to convince him that there will be blood if action isn't taken to stop obscenity. Burns is the swing vote on the committee. He is also clearly upset by the woman. Later, we see the Housewives protesting outside a play that features some naked people in sexy time just as Anne Tarrant arrives to take in a play. They plead with her to think of the children and not go in. But when she continues to enter, violence erupts, and Mrs. Hastings, one of the protesters, assaults Anne and hospitalizes her. In hospital, Quist is now ready to put Doomwatch on the case, but Anne is more interested in why that meek-seeming woman could turn to violence. Quist promises to find her so Anne can ask her. Quist puts Neil Stafford on the case to find both Miss Hastings and Mrs. Catchpole. 
Neil isn't having any of this because he's got good, wholesome values and he already knows what Quist thinks about the subject, despite them never having discussed it before. Stafford would shut this liberal permissive nonsense down. With fist or gun? asks Quist. Laws, responds Stafford. So, legal fists and legal guns. Nonetheless, he executes the assignment with efficiency and locates both women. Back at the committee, the educated members point out that lack of education, experience, and knowledge of human sexuality is creating an environment that is being exploited for capital gain. But is that a problem? Because exploiting ignorance isn't illegal. Educated people would laugh at most of the claims marketers make, but it isn't illegal. Next, the committee watches a sex film. Burns finds the film unbelievable and funny. Tarrant begins interviewing Mrs. Hastings. She feels terrible for what she did. She agrees to a little psychoanalysis to find out the underlying cause. She's a single mother with a troublesome nine-year-old son and a husband who left them two years ago. It wasn't a good marriage. She's so lonely and she took to hanging out with the housewives group because it seems a way to help her get her son back on the straight and narrow. Tarrant probes her sex life and reveals that she was, and is, ashamed of sex, that she felt her parents would find sex disgusting, that she was, in fact, unprepared by her parents and her education to deal with her own sexuality and lacked the mental tools needed. She leaves and does not come back when Anne asks her to imagine her parents having sex, perhaps even doing something a bit non-standard. It's clear she is stunted and maladjusted. Back at the committee, similar lines are being discussed. Children are born full of love. It is the parents that give them absolute rights and wrongs to discriminate between good and bad, when instead what children need is the ability to analyze and meet all the challenges on their own. Failure to do that allows evil men to exploit these people, and that is the fault of the system. Quist gives Bradley the assignment of putting all the source documents from the Purvis subcommittee into Doomwatch, the computer, and have it spit out a Doomwatch-type conclusion. Bradley points out that morality isn't something that a computer can analyze, and he cannot do it properly. Just do it as properly as possible, says Quist. There is properly, and there is not properly. There is no properly as possible. Quist doesn't relent, and Bradley sets about the task. Stafford interviews Mrs. Catchpole, and she's quite the talker, babbling on incessantly. She is racist and longs for a strongman to take over and clean things up. And it all keeps coming back to a man named Ballantyne, who funds them, and, we see, periodically crashes stages and makes his points about obscenity. The committee turns its eye towards violence, and they screen a film that was shown on the BBC after the watershed. It is a documentary and it shows Nigerian petty criminals being executed by firing squad to an eager crowd. Burns is devastated. Those were people. Real people. Quist goes to see Ballantyne. I'd call him a thinly-veiled stand-in for Nigel Farage, but even Doomwatch isn't that prescient. Farage was only eight when this aired. Ballantyne is a horrid, but candid, upper-class, twit-of-the-year type. He is a multi-time failure at standing for Parliament, and he quite honestly tells Quist that he wants to be the dictator, and that he is intentionally exploiting the ignorance of these women and other groups to bring himself to power. 
he thinks his candor is one of his better qualities. He also makes some valid points. I hesitate to say that. Valid points about the relative injustice in the world, about how the headlines read in horror about sex crimes, but millions die in Pakistan unheralded. People are ignorant, and people are selective in what outrages them. And why shouldn't he exploit that? Everyone else does. Why shouldn't he? Uh, narrator stepping back in here. When I said he made some valid points, that all stopped with why shouldn't he exploit that? Just to be clear, back to the recap. Back at Doomwatch HQ, Quist reminds us that Hitler was a joke 10 years before he was elected to Chancellor of Germany and on a platform of breaking down democracy, just like Ballantyne is now. The committee's report is in, as is Doomwatch's computer analysis. The committee votes along expected lines, with Burns being the swing vote. Final decision? Leave the laws alone. Doomwatch's analytical conclusion? Leave the laws alone. That seems pretty conclusive. Yet somehow I doubt this stopped being an issue after the early 1970s. The end. Or is it? Sex and violence. Okay. What, uh, what are your first thoughts on this episode? Well, my first thoughts on the episode while watching it were, what is Doomwatch fiddling about with this for? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people ask that question. Quist, uh, Stafford, uh, Bradley. Uh, yeah. Uh, quite yes. a few. What, what's Doomwatch doing in this mess? How is mankind's future threatened? And indeed, are you serious? About Quist, it being threatened? Quist to the minister. No, Chris to the minister. Are you serious about asking Doomwatch to investigate? I mean, it's one of those episodes, it seems to me, where they are stretching the Doomwatch premise in order to try and encompass some issues that they want to cover that I guess don't naturally fit in the the kind of ballywick yeah yeah i mean it's it's i think that happened early on with with re-entry forbidden where it wasn't it the involvement the involvement of doomwatch wasn't really anything that was to do with their their actual um remit as such it was more to do with a personal connection and in many ways the key figure in this is Anne Tarrant because she's on right. the committee and Doomwatch's involvement in this is really slightly tangential I guess it's there's got to be some involvement <laughs> as an as a as a as an excuse for the episode so given given that it is quite an interesting episode I think I found myself getting more and more drawn into the the discussions and it I mean, it it certainly helps that you've got a phenomenal cast there with um, Bernard Horsfall and uh, Brian Wilde and mm -hmm. um, June Brown, who I don't know whether you would be familiar with over there, but who has been in EastEnders for about 35 years. So even people like me who don't watch it manage to recognise her. Yeah, I I did not know that, but I did see that as part of my checking up on a couple of things about the 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 this particular episode and and why it didn't show up although i didn't actually find a definitive answer as to why it didn't show up other than they uh, wasn't aired well, lots of speculation that that you know it was afraid that they were taking too much of a swipe at mary whitehouse but um 
Yeah, I mean, I have my I have my theory about that. The, the interesting thing to me about a slight diversion from the episode itself, but it's but in terms of its status as the the unaired Doomwatch episode, um, is that because I've been I've been quite carefully trying to avoid any spoilers about the kind of broader Doomwatch story arc and things like whatever happened to John Ridge and all the rest of it. I've looked at the the list of episodes so the titles and so forth and the the only listings i've seen including on wikipedia have episode 12 sex and violence listed but from closer investigation it actually looks like this was never going to be episode 12 that the actual aired episode 11 killer dolphins was the the final episode that there had been a, another episode that was due to be the, the series three finale, The Devil's Demolition, which was unmade and not, and very unmade, little is yeah. known about it. Um, but Sex and Violence itself was due to be sometime earlier in the season, I think, possibly um, following on from Waiting for a Knighthood is the only suggestion I can find. I guess it's logical to, uh, uh, well, logical might not be the right word, but expedient to put it as the... 12th and final episode when you're listing episodes from the season just simply because it doesn't have a, a its own number sure you because know? yeah it, it it wasn't aired so there's there's no original air date by which it's sort of like the war it. episode it was, yes yes um yes in a sense although i mean at some point it must have had an had, had an intention but the 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 actual air dates of the episodes go one week, one week, one week, one week. So it was clearly knocked out of the sequence early enough for them to just bring the next week's intended episode forward and, and back into the sequence it goes. Hmm. So we end um, up with your, a, a short season three. Br- brief uh, detour to your earlier point about not seeing this. I think they did a pretty good job of opening the episode with Quist basically taking the place of the audience and saying, this is not what Doomwatch is. And the minister saying, Doomwatch is what I says it is, <laughs> more or less, for you yeah. know, whatever my political purposes are. And I think you could just literally drop that right on the writing team. And it's like, Doomwatch is what we say it is for the purposes that we want Doomwatch to do, which is to educate people about issues that they think are important. So... Um, I, I, I think that was kind of cagey of them to just, you know, go with it and say, take it right, on. Yeah. Take it on. We're just going to say it. We're going to say it. First thing out, this is not Doom Watch, but sit down and watch anyway. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll, I'll give them, I'll give them full marks for that. I'll also give them very full marks for doing a reasonably good job of making all the members on that subcommittee not be as, I don't want to say black and white, but they come off considerably more considered than I would expect them in some ways. Even the people on the opposition, if you will, the Reverend and Miss Creasy, um, they're, they're not as bad as they could be. They're not as acrimonious as they could be. They, they clearly have their voice and they clearly have their position, but they mostly come off as if they're actually there to do the job. And, and of course, they're all convinced that the job will 
turn out the way they think it should turn out because that's how people are. But at the very least, I, I kind of got that. And I was particularly pleased with, um, with, with Purvis because being uh, Lord Purvis and, and I would expect him actually to be on the side of, of evil and uh or miss creasy however you <laughs> want to put that i'll make my i'll take my stand here <clears throat> uh, which which side of this i agree is right and which side i agree is is more wrong um and purvis you know his little speech about when when he says we've got the american thing on obscenity and creasy said well that found they shouldn't do anything about it we shouldn't pay too much attention to that and he's like we should pay we the important thing is for we not to pay too little attention to this or too little to attention to any of this that we actually should sit down go through these documents study them consider them reason i mean if you ever go into a meeting and you got your boss who's running the meeting says stuff like that you think at least we're gonna do this right i i didn't get the feeling like he was doing it as a political show unlike the minister putting doom watch on it that yes did that i think come that's off that fair. Way to you? well i yes it it did but it seemed to me that the the subcommittee was stacked in a sense that there was going to be some nuance in the positions they took on particular elements of it. The the the, re, the ultimate recommendation of the committee and the vote it came down to was going to be on whether they should legislate or not, or whether they should recommend that the government uh, legislate. And the people on the committee were not likely to change their position on that no so they can they can no, sit true. there and have a have a debate and in a way it reminded me of something like that friday night saturday morning debate with um uh malcolm muggeridge and the bishop of southwark debating john cleese and michael palin over life of brian mm -hmm. in the sense that they were they were they were listening to each other in the their their points were made in response to what the other one had said but they were not no no one in it came in well i know that's burns probably not did. true i was going to say burns is, yeah. burns is yes, us is, right who, com who comes into it with an open mind and and listens and gets to hear it well, I, I don't know i don't know i mean he was an interesting character i i was surprised when he was introduced that, you know, because he was, you said you need no introduction. He's a pop star, and I thought, why is there Cliff a Richards. pop star on this panel? I didn't know about Cliff Richard being mm. on a on a similar panel, so that surprised me. And obviously, Burns is not Cliff Richard. I mean, I thought he was Paul McCartney. That it, that's his inspiration for being there, but but he wasn't. You know, Cliff Richard is a is a is a Christian. And mm -hmm. almost undoubtedly would have come down on the Mary Whitehouse side of things, whereas Burns was much more liberal and open-minded. Do we know if he did? Did it ever come to that? On the whatever real committee that Cliff Richards was on, I didn't get that kind of information. Oh, well, I, d I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Like I say, I, I hadn't, I hadn't even realised that w that was the inspiration until I looked it up afterwards. Yeah, as well. I, I stumbled across it and looking, trying to get the names of the characters. And, you know, there was one of the pages I found gave a, a brief, you know, gave the names and their jobs. And 
and it's made like minor notices like this is representative of so-and-so and this was representative cliff richard who was on one of these panels although burns is, and it does actually say that, although burns's character is m more i think they said even-handed <laughs> so <clears throat> than than richard's was but uh yeah i didn't i didn't know that i did when i when they introduced him and i looked at him i thought all right it is a little weird i think they're going for paul mccartney that was my thought but that could just be some could general be. boyish features in the haircut but uh but yeah um so i mean we we got to hear the arguments and it it's very hard to l listen to those arguments and and not come to it with my own preconceived or pre-educated or however you want to however you want to say that 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 typically speaking i'm I'm in on the side from the people who have invested their lives and their times to actually, you know, get an education and study the actual facts of the matter than I am a priest and uh, an old an old lady who's just incensed about not getting a lot of sex when she was a kid and now she doesn't want to <laughs> let young people have fun kind of thing. So... Or a woman who has no, been I... overly influenced by the priest or the vicar. So, or a vicar, not necessarily that one, but... She's genuine. She's, I mean, the point you made about the, about the way in which people engage, she is genuine in intending mm -hmm. to protect people, but she is closed-minded about her, her view of what effect it's going to have on people and yeah. the, if you like, the... the um, the the way in which p people should be allowed to make the the broad the broader philosophical questions about whether you should make your own choices and 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 even you know even some of the things that Brian Wilde's character was talking about to do with the the freedoms you need to develop a, a your own moral code even if you even if what you're aiming to nurture is a particular moral code you know what we what we would consider to be a, a good moral code but you know he 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 is coming at it from the point of view of you have you have to be allowed to develop that for yourself that freedom is an important part of that and she is coming from the point of view of saying actually this stuff corrupts people and it is impossible to be morally upright if you allow this corrupting material into your life yeah um I, I if you can remind me i want to come back to the the question of imposing the right and wrong on children uh but i i want to say before i forget which means i'll forget the other thing that's my whole point of asking you to remind me that i thought they did an interesting job of providing us with uh essentially four different facets and i think the vicar is really the least served here but in a way he he is he needs to be the least served this is what this is what my religion says boom that he's a garrison he literally his name is garrison as if he is the fortress of religion there that he just represents that it's it's not fixed and unchanging we don't need to understand the nuances of this man as you say miss creasy is actually genuine in her concern she she may be misguided, but she is genuine in her concern. Uh, Mrs. Uh, 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 Mrs. Attack Woman Hastings 
Yes, I think it's oh, Hastings. Yes. Um, she is a victim. She has come about this through uh, being a, a, a dupe. Uh, she she is a tragic character who has not fared well in the system, and she has been exploited because she is tragic. Um, Mrs. Uh, Catchpole is also being exploited. She is less tragic because she's <laughs> a nasty racist, among, amongst other things, and a fascist. And, and yet that is also being exploited for this exact same purpose. And then finally we get to Ballantyne, who is, of course, the, the most evil of the bunch, because he doesn't even believe this stuff. He, 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 he spins a whole 10 minutes or however long Quist is with him on the, on, in the scenes, basically making metaphors about his life and the way he does his estate with the apples and the horses and the, uh, you know, it, it's all cultivation and it's all using the resources that you've been given. And it's all about uh, to, to a cynical end that he absolutely does not even deny. It's just simply... Hey, the world's a sucky place. Look, people don't care if millions are killed in Pakistan. They're more concerned about this. That's their choice. I didn't do that. I, I didn't create that environment. I'm certainly not going to waste my time trying to fix it. I'm going to use it to my ends, which is a very... Um, that point is brought up a few times in this story, that, that people who exploit the ignorance of others uh, isn't illegal. It isn't illegal. It's just, it's just wrong. And and so, a a, a very good, um, a very good shield of experience for us to see in this episode of what the various positions, what the various reasons that people could come to this position are. And I, I you know, full again, I really thought that the writers did, the writer did a, a good job of giving us that understanding of the scope of the problem. I think. I mean, I think there were. There's, there's maybe even more than the scope of it. I think there are, there are two really interesting things because it was quite unexpected to me the way this went. And one of, one of the things that, I mean, particularly with the Hastings story that I found very interesting was that they completely turned the, what certainly, this is, a, this is an old ongoing debate that... Although I think public taste and so arguably morals have shifted in some way over the years, the debate itself seems to be framed in almost exactly the same way that it always has been. And that is that there are people who use the, the, what, what, what would be seen as these immoral uh, sexual perversions or you know, um, essentially the, the the pornographers and uh, those who 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 peddle uh, violence or extreme violence as a as a way of um, selling selling films, selling whatever. You know, get getting getting the the audience is it audiences in by by pr providing them with something that is. Uh, titillating it it is in effect always always portrayed as exploitation and therefore those who oppose it are portrayed 
whether or not you agree with them as being in opposition to exploitation. They are people who are standing up for a rigid moral code. Again, that could be seen as a good or a bad thing. But what they are doing is based on sincere belief. And it is, however, however misguided it is, it is deeply held and real. And the Mrs. Hastings story is, here is someone who has been exploited, who has been exploited by a pernicious and yet, you know, a, appealing um, form of what is, it's almost entertainment. She talks about going to housewife as a, mm-hmm. as a it, when she's initially talking about it, she's talking about it as something that is fun to do. She finds social mm-hmm. company, they, they have a laugh, all the rest she's of it. She's lonely, she says it. She, yeah. She's lonely. So, so there is undoubtedly through this, this message, something, something is being sold that appeals to a certain type of person in a certain way. And that that is the exploitation. And immediately Mm -hmm. you start thinking, well, goodness me, if we, if a moment ago we were debating banning people who exploit, where's this going to go? Is this, should, should we be arguing in favor of banning this form of exploitation, which of course is impossible to do. It's impossible for you to, Mm -hmm. for you to, for one moment to be saying from a liberal point of view, actually what we need to do is err on the side of saying there should be free expression. There should, there should be, we, we should be able to talk about sex. We should be able to portray not just violence, but the harm that violence caused causes we should be we sh- we should not be inhibited from discussing these things in at least in ways that are healthy and only take action against them when there is clear harm from that shown not just because some people happen to be making a lot of money some people happen to be doing very well out of it but because there is actual harm occurring and you can't if you've got any integrity and this is where Ballantyne comes in, of course, but if you've got any integrity, you can't then turn around and say, well, we have to we have to um, ban the National Viewers and Listeners Association because it's out there exploiting the weak-minded and lonely and 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 sexually maladjusted. Mm-hmm. Even 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 if mm-hmm. and I like this is what I like about it, even if it's it's very clearly said, but that's what they are, that's what they're doing, they're exploiting. Yeah, it's it's um, it, it it really this episode really hits a lot of hits a lot of points that haven't gone away and and are unlikely to go away. Um, I'll just say for a second that uh, in my discussion of the doing a fair job of portraying the the members of the the committee, uh, there was you know I I watched this episode and. I know I'm coming into it with a certain point of view. And I know that those committee members have come into it with a certain point of view. I mean, we're told that very upfront. Again, it's it's right down to uh, when Mrs. Um, uh, uh, Catchall, <laughs> whichever Catch-ball. one it was, Catchball, uh, catches hold of um, 
uh, Burns and says, you know, you're the swing boy. I mean, in case the audience wasn't aware, then you're now clearly aware that basically it's two against two and one in the middle. So we're not going to get a change. We're going to hear these points of views. They're not going to, they're not going to change. And my interpretation is going to be that the writer's sympathy is 100% on the side of, let's call it the educated, but we could call it the angels or we could call it whatever. Um, but there was one line in there that, that it abused the heck out of me because it really does echo something that is cast at um, educated people. You know, ivory tower, you're out of touch. You, you, you're not... You think you're better than us? There's, there's that there's that whole uh, uh, series of complaints. It's when the, I forget which one, whether it was Horsehole's character or the other one said, you know, we educated people would laugh at the claims made by marketers. And that's quite egotistical. And, and maybe we don't know, but marketing works just as damn well on everybody. <laughs> Like, and it's and it's the people who are who think it doesn't work on them. It works on them too. It just works a different way. Marketing is a science too. Exploitation in that way is a science. And when he said that, I'm like, okay, well, the writer's at least taken. I felt the writer was taking a dig at him, frankly, uh, when he came that lineup. Maybe that's hindsight, looking back and and saying, yeah, okay, well, we know that's not true. Maybe back then they thought it was true that. You know, give them a good enough education. No one's ever gonna, no one ever gonna buy the expensive toothpaste ever again. They're gonna get the cheapest <laughs> toothpaste that has the exact same ingredients as the one with a fancy brand. But it doesn't work that way, not not universally. So, anyway, sorry, slight the, diversion here. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's 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 still on the same theme of exploitation, um, in the in the sense that that the the parallels drawing there about who who was being exploited by whom and whether whether we should step in and protect them but the 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 other the other thing the second thing about the connection that was made between the the um anti-permissiveness movement being the exploiters was this connection with and it became very, very explicit, this connection with far-right politics. Mm-hmm. Because as you said in your recap, Catchpole was essentially a fascist. Yeah. She, was, she, was, she was arguing in favour of... She, I mean, she, first of all, she came out with a series of racist statements, and then she was asked, arguing in favour of a, 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 a strong man leader, Mm-hmm. essentially uh you know it's a it's a it's a it's a fascist viewpoint and the interesting thing about it is that i kind of think oh that fits that kind of fits quite well this is this is before we get to to ballantyne and the fact that he himself is a an un, unapologetic right-wing extremist who is opportunistically exploiting things don't get the sense that catchpole is exploiting things you get the sense that she is a fascist and these views sit well together with her because when you're making these arguments in favor of protecting people from corruption first of all you're arguing in favor of 
what liberals and libertarians so not you know it's not necessarily a totally left right divide here but where people people coming from a a, a certain political standpoint would argue in favor of there not being unnecessary legislation and un- unnecessary restrictions of freedom this is an argument in favor of individuals being overruled by the state um being yes. being told being told what is right and and it, and the state is doing so in order to protect those individuals and and you can quickly see how you can say and the 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 right thinking individ- individuals become the not to put too fine a point in it white individuals and the corrupting influences extend beyond simply sex and violence to Jews and blacks and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it all it all kind of starts to fit together, which is where my theory about why the BBC chickened out of this comes from. Because okay. Mary Whitehouse won a libel action against Johnny Spate a few years before this, um, Johnny Spate, as our listeners probably know, was the writer of Till Death Us Do Part, which I think got remade in On Your Side of the Pond. All in the I've... family. Right, thank you. Um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a satire on a, on a fascist, Alf Garnet. And, yep. and, um, and the libel action that the National Viewers and Listeners Association won against Spate was as a result of him implying that their members were fascists. So the so the BBC is looking at this and thinking a few years ago we got thrashed in the courts by Mrs. Whitehouse over a suggestion that there was a connection between her and her movement and these far right wing politics. And then we're going to air this episode of Doom Watch, where there is a very, very thinly veiled Mary Whitehouse character who is or two. explicitly well, no, I don't think Mrs. Cressy is a problem as such because she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't expound any of these, these Oh no, not for the libel action. But 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 catchpole is because she 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 is very like Mary Whitehouse, but she also has this racist diatribe. So I I've I, I've almost got some sympathy with them in terms of why they made that decision. Because if I'd been in their legal team, I probably would have been a bit worried about it myself. Hmm. Hmm. I I think yeah. I think the Mary Whitehouse angle is is definitely. A, a, a very is is the logical conclusion um, as to why they do it. Uh, you know, I think honestly, if I were looking at 1972 television, I, there's no way it would air on the United States. But just no way. I mean, there's just too much talk about sex in it. Just, You're just not even allowed to talk about sex. Not not like that. Not not talk about. Did they they use the phrase oral sex? <laughs> no way! It's like not in 1972. <laughs> it's like television. No, 
No, no. Because yeah. I, the, 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 the speculation that I had seen, I mean, despite trying to avoid it, in advance of seeing the episode, suggested that it was because of what was shown in the oh, episode. The, and you've got the, the Nigerians, you, yeah. Well, no, I mean, the thing was, you've got this, you've got this porn movie being shown, which which Burns says something like, I can't believe it at the end of it. And I was thinking, I can't believe it either. It's, it's, it's pretty, um, I mean, obviously they couldn't have, they couldn't have expected to show anything that was, and, I, and I'm, I'm no expert on porn, still less the history of porn and what it, what it actually might've looked like in 1972. Um, and I dare say it doesn't necessarily follow the, narrative standards of more conventional cinema so maybe maybe that that was a forgive the expression that was a realistic climax to a movie like that but it it seemed i, I would tame. i would say i seem uh, to to and claim not to be an expert um and i'll deny it vehemently but uh <clears throat> I, I don't think there's ever been one that ended where a couple naked walked into a room and the door closed on the bedroom and they put a sign out that said the end because yes. the, the audience would, would naturally expect to follow them into the room and have a different ending, a happy ending, Indeed. I suppose, <laughs> you could say. So, Indeed. Um, <clears throat> and, and, so, yes, and, and, I, I, I don't know. Well, not, but, uh, not the, a connoisseur of 70s porn. No, and we don't know how realistic this is, but we do know that it's not real that they did stage it for the program which you wouldn't necessarily be surprised about except that apparently they did go out looking for real porn to include and again i've read i've read this in a couple of different places so i i i hope it's not apocryphal because i love it that the pornographers they spoke to were appalled at the idea that pornography would be screened on the bbc and so they refused to allow it mm. See, I figured they just went out looking for porn so that they'd have an excuse to find some porn. <laughs> oh, we're making a TV on this weekend. We can actually go get some and put it on the well, expense account. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I, I mean, it, well, it. I, they didn't it have the internet me, back then. I look. I looked. At, I looked up old, old Calcutta um, on Wikipedia because of because of the play in uh -huh. this episode which i'm pretty sure is based on o calcutta and the the um the london run of it attracted the mets um obscene publications squad to go and to, to to send officers to it and and the wikipedia entry says they were they went to see a preview of the show it says one of the officers returned twice more before recommending a prosecution under the Theatres Act. So he, he needs to go see it three times. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the DPP apparently sent an entire panel of people, including two headmistresses, to go and see it. So I think there's a lot of people getting to watch a lot of porn here. Um, well, not not uh, porn, I guess, in the case of O'Calcutta, but um, they're indulging themselves <laughs> before... Yeah. Before they are censoring, censoring the um, the the production. So in 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 that respect, uh, yes, I was thinking you know, that the committee might be saying, well, maybe we should watch some more of this just to make sure it's all as bad as it appears to be. <laughs> um, the, back to the, the, the oh, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say what on the on the the point about the the, the real the reality of the pornography that um, you you might you might say that the 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 claim that they were looking for for real pornography is far fetched, and I you know I that did seem surprising to me, but not half as surprising as the fact that this episode includes. It, this is essentially a snuff movie. This is real footage yeah. of an execution. Yes. yes. Um, that, that, and it was aired on the BBC previously. For real. And, subs- for and subsequently, in fairness. Yeah, more than once. But it's and pretty shocking. It, that is... Um, I was hoping you'd, you'd give a, a, a feedback on that. I, when I watched it, not knowing... Okay, not not knowing what I was going to see here, and they got to this and they started showing this footage. I was, I'll say, easily able to say this is real. Okay, I I I looked at it and not for a second did I think it wasn't real news footage. And they go into the executions. You know what's going to happen. Wasn't sure whether they were going to show it. They did. I didn't think they would. I did not have the kind of reaction Barnes did. Um, I expected you to comment on it being horrific, and in in an intellectual way, it is it is horrific. It did not impact me emotionally. Maybe I'm just too old and jaded, and know that people are dying everywhere all the time in horrible ways, but. So, you know, later Valentine's words about people in Pakistan dying in the millions. You're like, yeah, it's it's a fair cop. They're not on the screen in front of you. I honestly could not tell you if I had been standing in that in real life. I, I cannot tell you what kind of reaction I would have. If it would be any different. Other than there is nothing I can do about this. Watching it on TV, it's a foregone conclusion. Right there, there is no, there is no hope that I can make a change to what's going to happen. There is no, there, there is nothing but I am watching history, and that's kind of how it comes off to me. It, it, it's, it's a bit more visceral. They say that the Vietnam War, part of what undermined the Vietnam War in the United States, certainly, was the fact that the footage from the war was being shown on the news every night. It's the first time that the the war footage was being let in, I don't know whether it was completely unrestricted, but certainly the horror of war was being shown to people, the death, the the destruction. And, you know, I look at Vietnam War footage in the same kind of way. It's history. I, I don't know how I would have felt there. And I don't know how I would have felt in in the place. I certainly wouldn't have felt like I'm going to run up and jump in front of them to try to stop the bullets, because I think I could safely say I would not stop the bullets. Um these are horrible people doing horrible things. I don't know. I really don't know. It it it, it raised that question in me. It's like I, I don't know what I would think. But in a way, I feel Burns was too affected, and yet I know people are in that way. So, and does it make a difference? Is it different watching? It's real people. Why? Do, yeah. But they're in a way they're not real people. They're people on film. They're how is it different from slaughtering? Indians in a cowboy and Indians film. These things did happen just because that particular actor isn't an, the actual Indian that got murdered. I, I, 
I don't know. It, it's not a. As, it's not the same. Did did all the violence of all those films that I watched? Uh, did did all the James Bond films where he's killing people indiscriminately or or semi indiscriminately? Has that inured me to this when I watch this this piece of film? And I I know it's real, but it doesn't it doesn't gut punch me. Ideas gut punch me in in these shows, like in Tor uh, in, in Doom Watch, but. But the the visual representation of it did not. I, I could just be broken. It, it, I, I don't know. It could be the system has failed me. Um, or it's given me the tools to deal with it. It depends on how you look at it. I, I, I just honestly don't know. Honestly don't know. And it does it does bring me to another question then. Um, the, the one that I didn't want you to let me to forget. When they give the, the speech about children are born into this world with love and we teach them to discriminate and right and wrong and we impose, as a parent, th this is something that I went into when my kids were born, to ask myself, is there right and wrong? I, I mean, nobody, nobody imposes on their children. I hope nobody imposes on their children values that they don't think are right and correct. Right? It's, it's down to, like, everyone's entitled to an opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. But when it comes to raising your kids, you, you get to tell them what's right and wrong. And it's your job to tell them what's right and wrong. And if you don't, um, they could literally get into trouble or die. So, I mean, you, you have some obligation to try to, to teach them right from wrong. But how do you know what's right and wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, yes, we try to give them the tools at the earliest possible age for critical thinking and, and, you know, making them watch Star Trek over and over again. <laughs> and, you know, all of the, all of the correct things that gave me my moral compass. But, um, and there it is, right? I mean, I, I'm not joking. I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally not joking. My, I did not realize this until I was much older. My moral compass comes from original Star Trek. It does. It, it absolutely does. Some people go, what would Jesus do? I think, what would Jim Kirk do? It, it, is, <laughs> it, is, it is quite literally the, the, the example of what somebody who is doing the just and moral thing would do, the positions that they would take. And, you know, looking back on it, some of them I don't necessarily think are always the best ideas now but by and large that's the that's the mold and i want to pass that on to my kids and i you know if you're raised in the deep south you're not raising your kids to be deep red state fascist because you think it's wrong <laughs> you know you're not trying to harm them who 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 decides in the end what really is the right thing to do. And you can understand why parents are not happy when the education system teaches them something that does not jive with their personal, deeply held, sincere beliefs. It, it's a Which is exactly why the education issue. system is so important. Protect And getting protect it right, that's right. From, from the parents horrible parents yes sincere beliefs that are yeah I, that are awful well i do agree with that but i can see how it would be easy to to be in a place where the education system might get it wrong 
where political interference might make them remove things that are objectionable, like evolution or sex ed or... Imagine that. Imagine. Um, so, wow. You know, it, they did not solve... This episode does not solve these problems. It most definitely just reminds us how basic to the human condition they really are. Yeah, I mean, it, it accepts the position that, that government has a role to play. It argues about whether that's a restrictive role or not, I, I guess. But it's certainly, it's certainly not trying to suggest that it's all down to the parents or that the parents should have an absolutely free reign to inflict whatever they wish to on their, on their children. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I, I can't, I can't, I, I, like I said, I feel I could be incensed by something that comes out of school. I, I think it could happen that I could be in a position where I'm in opposition to what they are teaching, but I have to st- Stand back and say, these are the people who have better knowledge on a subject than I do. That that when you have a when you have a, a an astronomer or a physicist or a biologist or someone who has spent the time, learned learned the the knowledge, become proficient based on a body of knowledge that has been built up cumulatively for over a century or more, that that maybe maybe their opinion and their guidance is better than mine or Mr. Well, Joe not, Data Farmer. But, but I, th- I mean, I think, I think, I guess the, the point, the point that you accept is that the, the, the power you have over your children, that is a shared power. It's obviously as a parent, you are in a very powerful position, but certainly here. And legally responsible. Yes, but the state also takes a position that it too has a role in your children's development, and it will. There, there are certain things that you have to do. You have to send your kids to school, and your kids will have to learn things that are on the national curriculum, and there, there, there will be ways in which you as a parent if the if the state suspects you have shortcomings in that respect it will reserve the right to intervene and take action if necessary because ultimately the state is responsible for all the children and i think i think there's a there's a there's a there's a broad consent over that shared power that power power sharing so people understand they have a special responsibility for their own kids but collectively the state is responsible for all kids and you and so you can say i think my kids shouldn't learn this thing in school or whatever but also i think everyone else shouldn't learn this thing in school and therefore i will campaign to get this thing in school removed from the curriculum or whatever it may be but then there are then there are then there are those who say, actually, I I have such a special responsibility over my kids that I must be able to control what they are taught about sex or other religions or or whatever it may be. And though you know those special areas are still areas of particular sensitivity where they do tend to be 
greater exceptions and so forth. And I, I, I think that where where this episode is broadly coming from is is still is still accepting the basic premise because this is this is what the the Purvis Committee is is doing or whatever. It's it's making a decision for the nation's children. It's not it's not sort of saying this is something that we are we are going to suggest we should abdicate from and allow complete parental freedom. Mm. Yeah. I, I I yeah. I think it I think it does a fair job of that. Uh, and I'm and I don't I, mean, I don't disagree with the conclusions that they necessarily came up in the episode for the most part. Although you do I do kind of think in a way Quist kind of sounds like he is. Right? I mean, we're not yeah. we're not making we're not making a change so the laws stay in place where these things happen and presumably kids are being given sex education by long-haired liberal hippies and so presumably but that's things a state are... intervention yes but that was one so of the things one... that they were complaining against but but they're not going to make any changes to that they're, they're not going to change any law so things status quo stays the same so then quist is saying if status quo stays the same we're likely to get this valentine guy in there so I, in the end it was kind of it was a little ambiguous as to what he was. I don't think he was thinking they should reintroduce obscenity laws. I don't think it was that at all. I think he was just pointing out that nonetheless, victory, we won. They're not going to put in stupid obscenity laws. But no, we're not winning because other problems. Yes. Yes, which is a fair point. But then I, I kind of think Chris was moving from a point at the beginning where he was basically saying, I would happily just let all the parents make the decisions about this because i don't want to have to think about it it's not doing much his estate you know so he he shifted from that to to accepting some responsibility for thinking about it but then at the end of it having come out with the the view that he came out with he was saying i guess there's still a problem i think they missed a beat in this episode where quist as you say, let the parents do it. Quist kinda is a parent now. His wife has hey. a six-year-old daughter who oh, we've never crazy. seen, but there's so many missing episodes. Um, it, it, I don't know whether this was a surprise when she said, oh, I've got a six-year-old daughter. It's like, what? Surprise <laughs> me. It, it, well, yeah, but, you know, how many episodes are missing that, well, that we've seen this? Yeah. And, and so, and how many times have we seen them either in their palatial cottage or in that incredibly cramped city apartment where is the daughter you know we haven't we haven't seen her quist seems to hold no no truck with the fact that he's he married Anne. he kind of you kind of get the kid with the bill that that's usually the way it goes also if you've got to say oh mom you don't you don't tend to be able to spend enough as much time using your record player and lying around reading the newspaper exactly exactly it didn't it didn't fit with a it didn't fit with a image i've pictured of the quist domestic life yeah (laughs) over there let's see there were a couple good points i i appreciated the guys who were running the play when the women were complaining and she was you know he was telling well you don't have to watch and go get some proper sex ed or or this is you know the best sex ed you might get because you know, making the points that freedom, you know, yeah. it's not just it, it, the freedom. You don't have to watch this. We're not forcing it on you. Um, 
it was also interesting that uh, I think it was Mrs. Hastings said that the speakers weren't keen on women's lib. Yes. And and I thought that, you know, that's always another one of those fascinating one. All these these women who are championing these anti-obsession also almost always fall in with a group of people that are opposed to women being actual equals. Um, and I, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that they threw that that comment in there to get... Uh, Women's lives another form of corruption, you see. Yeah, yeah. That men don't haven't put their women in their place. I mean, yeah, it, it's right down there <sighs> with the rest of this mire. Um, I also appreciate that Bradley was very much on the side of this is not a computer problem. But I think what he was really was resisting was having to type in all of those typed documents because yeah. they didn't scan those in those days. That <laughs> Somebody had to enter that and... And not that you could have entered prose into the computer and get it to analyze it anyway, but um, but Doomwatch the computer got something to do. Yeah, yeah, oh, and it made the right great. choice. That's the weird part, and it made the right choice. Right, as in what the episode wants you to. The commission came to that conclusion based on a balanced evaluation, and so too did the computer based on who the heck knows what. I don't know. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> um, it's, it certainly runs against the um, what was it Project Sahara view of um, do, I, do I mean yeah. Project Sahara view I think computers? so yeah that's the one where the computer keeps track of everybody and what's right and wrong and yeah and, uh, and yeah. Chris thinks the computer shouldn't decide these things but whether yes. whether whether people should be allowed to watch pornography and snuff movies well we'll let the computer decide that sure no problem were we ever supposed to believe at any point, because Quist never says, right? And and they even make a point of mentioning it when Stafford is having his, well, I know what your opinion is going to be. And he's like, oh, I know, uh, do you? We've never talked about this. I ask you, do you know what Quist's opinion was on this subject? <laughs> was, was he? I was expecting him to be, I was expecting him to be a liberal. And I me think too. that's what and Stafford think... was expecting. And Sta yes. Sta Stafford is the kind of, classic policeman, you know, mm. sort of law, law and order type. Right. That, that, that straight laced. That straight laced yeah. law and order thing. And so, yeah. Um, there is a line in this that I just want to bring up, uh, which is Quist is talking to Anne and he mentions that, you know, Stafford's got this all sorted out and he's going to send his son to a prostitute when he turns 16. How, how much of a thing is that? Have, have you ever encountered that? I'm not asking if you were sent to a prostitute at age 16. I'm asking whether or not you have ever encountered that as like a real thing and not something you see on TV. I, well, no, I've never. No one I know has told me that's what they've done. Okay. <laughs> I can't. Obviously, I can't say no one I know has. Right. Definitely it's not, does, not done that. But they've I absolutely. When I was, I was absolutely in high school and a person who. I could still name, but I'm not going to, was pointing out that his father had promised him when he turned 16, he's going to hire him a prostitute. And I don't think he was lying. I don't think he was bragging it up, right? Because you wouldn't say, my dad's going to get me a girl. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you wouldn't say it that way. You'd, you'd say it some other way, like, I'm going to go down and do it myself or 
whatever. But this was like, my dad has told me he's going to do this. And up until that point, admittedly, I was probably 15 at the time. So it's not a lot of time in my life. I didn't think that was a real thing. (laughs) And now I'm, I'm convinced it actually is that there are people so, and you know, it's obviously, it's a boy thing. I, I, because that's, you know, the, 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 the imbalance of that girls should save themselves, but boys should sow a little wild seed. Um, and it just, it, it, it shocked the heck out of me at the time. Cause you know, my, my morality was devised by Star Trek and they don't do stuff like that. They just have <laughs> sex for fun. So, um, yeah, uh, I, that was, that was weird when he said that, I'm like, gosh, that's a real thing. <laughs> and it really is a real, it was a real thing there too. It wasn't just this weird, yeah. Um, we got anything else? Well, there's Ballantyne that, I mean, I was, I was very struck by him and the, the claim you make that this couldn't have been doing much being prescient because Nigel Farage was eight at the time. But there's nothing special about Nigel Farage. Nigel Farage is just a another two-bit opportunist. What was it that Russell Brand called him? A, a, a pound shop Oswald Mosley. I don't know who Oswald Mosley is, but... Oswald Mosley, the, uh, the um, a Brit- a British fascist uh, between the wars who himself was in some ways a figure of fun i'm sure i'm sure that you know it it's it's hitler who quist refers to but i'm sure that uh, an, another example could easily have been mosley the, the pg woodhouse sent him up as as uh, roderick spode in the Jeeves and worcester books mm. mosley led a band of fascists called the black shirts uh, spode led a band called the black shorts but the the point i think that doom watch is making is this is ripe for exploitation and what what the line is sexually repressed nation is ripe for a dictator and actually it's not sexual repression i don't i don't think it's sexual repression that is that is used in this case but it is this point about political opportunism that someone who can who who is incapable of getting themselves elected to a seat in parliament can still by essentially unscrupulously exploiting any kind of um chink in the national psyche in order to further their nasty little right-wing agenda is exactly what happens that is absolutely what happened nigel farage never had any interest in whether or not we were in the european union or not nope. that's 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 not his his concern whatsoever what he wants to do is to advance his own extreme right wing view of what the country should be so certain, I mean, certain things probably do fit with that. All the things about immigration or whatever, but all, and you know, some of the things about deregulating and and allowing uh, uh, allowing allowing free reign and and um, capitalism to essentially 
run unchecked. Run amok. It, it, I mean, so, some of that happens to to fit in with this stuff, but no, but none of that is actually nearly as important as what leaving the European Union actually means. And and the, I mean, this is the beauty of it from Farage's point of view. He didn't have to win that. He didn't have to win that. All he had to do was to create. He he had to he had to create the the upheaval the 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 schism that he he brought about because it's the disruption that allows the 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 the, the right to ascend. It's it's it, it's it's pulling down the the institutions that we all take for granted, I guess, and so. So it's it's that it's that kind of naked opportunism, and in particular, it's that line where he says it doesn't matter that people see me being an opportunist because that's absolutely true as well. And I can't believe that that was so well understood in 1972 because it took me a long time. I mean, I was staring in disbelief <laughs> at the current generation of politicians and the way they were behaving. Because I couldn't believe that they could be successful doing what they were doing, being so, being so nakedly opportunistic. I mean, Boris Johnson is a prime example of this. The, the uh-huh. you know the the on the on the eve of deciding whether he was in favour of leaving the European Union or not, the guy writes an article arguing in favour of staying in the European Union as well as one arguing in favour of leaving. And he doesn't decide which one to file until the very last minute because that's the kind of classic opportunist he is. And he, he switches viewpoints like this and like that. Your guy, I shan't even mention mm. your guy. <laughs> he's, he's saying one thing one day, you know, this this virus is a democratic hoax. And then he's saying something completely contradictory the next. And everyone can see that it's... It, it, it's a yeah. it's a complete about face, and they don't care. They don't care. They're just looking for someone who they can effectively project their own particular prejudices onto. And as soon as they as soon as they see something that clicks with that, it can be anything at all. It can be what he said yesterday. It can be what he said the day before. Which whichever one happens to be the one that ties in with their their kind of natural inclination and that and that's and that's where ballantine is coming from he's he's picked a cause and it doesn't matter to him what the cause is and it certainly doesn't matter to him that he doesn't believe in the cause what matters to him is that he can find a cause that will serve him as a platform that will get people talking about him that will get him noticed and that will that will gather around him a little a little army of people the the sexually repressed nation that is mentioned who who will be grateful to him for raising this issue that they all felt you know they felt that there was something wrong they mrs hastings felt that there was something wrong with sex and now here is an answer to that and so Yep. she ha- she becomes effectively a disciple of of, of of Catchpole and Ballantyne. I got the impression from what Ballantyne said, there was some line, I didn't write it down, but it led me to believe that 
not only does he fund groups that have to do with this issue of sex and violence, but there are other groups that he funded, perhaps on different issues. And that was about the same time he was talking to Quist about how if you choose your apples correctly, you can have them from all the way from July to September. So there was, it was a pretty clear metaphor that it's, mm. it's not about which apples he likes. It's about if you want to have apples, you pick them based on what, I don't say evergreen, that's not quite the right word, but, that, but what fits the time to get the job done. And it was, it was, I, I, that was a, that was a fascinating scene. And, and just Quist just standing there being told that flat out. And he's like, I uh, uh, can't believe a word. I can't believe you're saying that <laughs> basically that you're just flat out telling me that. And, and what's really sad is you say, you, you can't believe that they understood that so well in 1972 the reason I can't believe they understood it so well in 1972 is because if we understood it so well, how come it's still happening? Right? I mean, this is, well, this is I just think a this complete failure of the human species. It is. It is. It is. And the other, the other fascinating thing about that scene is, is the, the, the way in which we had seen Ballantyne portrayed up until that point. In those in those scenes with the with the apple orchards and I, he, I, he's carrying a riding crop or something and probably wearing mm. riding boots mm-hmm. or whatever. And it, or all of it is 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 screaming. This is this is a guy from the ruling classes. He's moneyed and the rest of it. And when you see him at the various hustings. You know, breaking onto other people's platforms and and uh, yelling yelling his 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 uh, his diatribes. What you're seeing is an outsider. You're seeing someone who who is who the establishment is trying to repress. Who's because, mm-hmm. because he he's actually actively courting these situations in which he is very publicly and violently thrown out because it looks like people are silencing the little guy, the man who is trying to again it comes back to this thing the sincere belief but it's the guy who is who is trying to to get his important message out there and they they don't want you to hear it because it's an they, all an act are the all-powerful establishment. They are the elite who are keeping the folks like you and me down. And yeah. yet, I wish somebody had thrown a the beer scene on with it. Quist, it's the, it's the folks like you and me are the folks who have these extensive grounds with their apple orchards and their, their large manor house and all the rest of it and their horse stables and... It, 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 it's Farage again. It's the city, it's the city trader who is portraying himself as a as a a man of the people who just likes going down to the pub with a pint. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All an act. All an act on his part. Yeah. Well, this uh this brings the end of the regular episodes of Doom Watch. But we've got a couple more things. What what, have, what what's up next? So for the next in our Doom Watch series is Doom Watch. The so, I mean, this 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 is this is where it finishes in August nineteen seventy two. The the um, the third series of Doomwatch. Apparently, as far as I can tell, there was no hint in Radio Times or anything like that that this was 
going to be the end. The, the, the BBC had no interest in commissioning a, a fourth season, but that was it. That was the end of Doomwatch on TV. But there is a 1972 cinematic Doomwatch film release, which is what we're going to look at next. Does that have a name other than just Doomwatch, the motion picture? I'm pretty sure it's called Doomwatch. Doomwatch, okay. Well, in that case, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. Uh, listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. You think this is the episode where we lost all our fascist listeners? <laughs> I did get a bit political. <laughs>